The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and this is episode number 200, which is very exciting. Now, when a person is addicted to drugs and or alcohol, the myriad of choices of treatment can be overwhelming. Narconon Ojai is a residential treatment facility that addresses the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of addiction with a proven, evidence-based, holistic, drug-free, step-by-step program designed to free those trapped by addiction. For more information, call 1-866-231-5924. Today, we have an interview with a gentleman named Will Grayson. Will not only has his own history of addiction, but he has been helping people. Will Grayson, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Great to be here. Will, you said um, when we were just talking that you have your own history of addiction. And how many years sober have you been now? Uh, I'm coming up on May 5th would be 31. That's amazing. That's awesome. Very well done. But take us back. Tell us how you got started on drugs. Give us your history on that road. Oh, man. Uh, okay. Um, I, I think I started maybe at maybe nine years old. Uh, my people, you know, born and raised in New York, um, up in Harlem. My Basically, my family's from Harlem. And I remember my people giving, having card games and you know, selling liquor and selling liquor on Sundays and that whole thing. And it started out with me uh, taking the empty glasses and changing them. Sometimes they would be half empty and I would taste it. And, you know, and uh, I could remember when I used to get sick, my, my grandmother used to give me a hot toddy. And I don't know whether that was vodka or gin. I think it was gin, gin and, and something else. She used to make it with and lemons and 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 all of that and I, and I got that feeling you know you know when you first start drinking and whatever you get that feeling and that kind of like um progressed actually because i remember you know fast forward a little bit in junior high school we used to just drink on weekends you know um and we, we would drink the co 45 the beer uh, not really too much alcohol. Alcohol came during the holidays, maybe. And my favorite drink then was was um, eggnog, you know, eggnog with whatever my family's put in it. And uh, so uh, I remember one year that actually we used to drink and, and, and get high and hitch the buses. Back then, that was a big thing to get on the back of the bus and hitch like maybe from 117th street to 125th street on the back of the bus, uh, jumping the subways and, and all that stuff you do, you know, you do as a kid. But now wait, but well, I you said drink and get high. Is it still just alcohol or were you doing something else at that point? No, no. Hitching? I just, at that time it was just beer and okay. alcohol. Okay. Even more beer. Coke 45. You remember when that was the malt liquor era? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the other drugs didn't come in until later. You know, I'm a former Marine, a Vietnam, um, Vietnam era vet. And um, 
the 60s. I'm a product of the 60s. So, you know, I went right into the 60s and I happened to uh, fall into music. Uh, actually, my my people did music all their lives. My mother's twin brother used to play the harmonica and ride me on his knee like a train. He would do the train thing. And, and I remember that today very vividly. I mean, it, it was crazy. So I kind of gravitated in the 60s, you know, that free love set, the whole thing. <laughs> and and the music, and I became a pretty good musician. I played with a couple of groups. I played with the ad-libs that had a couple of hit records. And um, I just played around locally and and uh, within the tri-state area, New York, Jersey, and all that. I, I never, I never um, really aspired to be successful in, in, in any area of my life, because I'm the type of guy, or I still am the type of guy, that I say to myself, and I don't mean this in ego by any means, is that I never had to work hard at anything. So <laughs> that gave me the mindset to be mediocre or settle for mediocrity, right? And well, if I could just pass the test, I never studied, but if I took the test and passed it, fine, I passed the test. The same thing in sports. I excelled in all the sports, never worked at it at all, but I was good at it. So yeah. that was enough for me. And, yeah. you know, in, in junior high school, when I dropped out in high school, that's when we really started doing, I think, the acid and, and psychedelics and all of that stuff. I was in a band with a friend of mine that we started. And I remember I had converted to uh, Catholicism. I was even an altar boy. Can you imagine that? We used to drink the wine in the back. It was Manischewitz wine they used to use on Sundays with the wine and the things. So I still remember that. And well, I, I would this... I would say something, but we just um, put post published an interview a couple of weeks ago, actually on Christmas Eve, that was a former Catholic priest who was addicted to cocaine. So there you go. Yeah, well, he was uh, this guy was unbelievable, man. I got to tell you, when I look back now in retrospect, he really like um, he really he gave me the opportunity to have an understanding that, you know, I was worthy for more than what I was settling for, number one. And I had a, I had potential. And it was so, you know, how it happened was, you know, he used to see me playing basketball and stuff. And he went to my family and said, listen, I know you guys don't really have that much money, but I want Will to come and go to school here. So I converted to Catholicism and and uh, became a Catholic and went to Catholic school, made my confirmation and commun uh, um, communion. And when I got out of uh, junior, out of high school, out of school back then, before junior high, didn't even, they didn't even have junior high in New York. Then, uh, at least I wasn't aware of it. So I went straight to uh, junior high school and then my family moved from Harlem they moved out to the suburbs which they called the suburbs back then some of my family members went to Queens the other went to like Staten Island and, and that was a whole nother trip then. And where did you end up? 
I ended up, I used to just go, I, I ended up with my mother in Staten Island, but my grandmother stayed in Harlem. Okay. So you remember back in the days, they used to take the kids from the ghetto to in the city and send them up state somewhere for the summer and all that. Well, with me, I went back to Harlem for the summer, <laughs> every summer. So it, it was, it was really interesting. But, you know, I messed around at 17 and, you know, got my girl pregnant, came up with a bright idea that maybe if I joined the military, I um, I would be a success. Uh, not really knowing that I was really running from me, right. actually, and the, and the responsibility. And so I did all of that. And, you know, the ending of that story, I got hooked and heroin was buried pervasive heroin had just came on the set when I went in. I went in, I think, in 68. And um, it had just came in. It wasn't that, but after I went to boot camp and went overseas and came back and it was, it was like, that was the thing. It was, it was, Harlem was flooded with, with heroin. Okay. And were you and, doing heroin in the military as well? No, nah, not or really. just before? Okay. Yeah, this is before. Matter of fact, I had all kind of tracks when I went down to uh, for the physical. And, you know, back then, I think they was just worried about getting bodies anyway. So yep. uh, today I could probably never have gotten in. Plus, back then, you didn't have to have a high school diploma. You didn't have to have any of that. So once again, I have continued to run, you know, and uh, and that was a disaster also. You know, uh, whatever I stepped up to do, I would do for a little while and then uh, fade out. You know, it's like the runner in the race. I would start off in the race out of the gate doing 90 miles an hour. And then about halfway through the race, I would slow down and then ultimately sit off and go off track and not even finish the race. Right. So that was the pattern. These were some of the patterns that I see now. Right. I didn't know really then, but they, these were the patterns. And I was a, I was a good kid. I, 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 I know now when I look back, is that all I was looking for was wanting to be part of something. And of course, I had all the insanity going on in my life, the violence that I've seen. My best friend got shot in front of me. Uh, uh, stabbed actually and and died wow. and uh, he was on the corner and you know all all the all the stuff because from the I could say from like maybe 70 69 to maybe maybe uh, 69 to about 70 about 80 everything was a blur I couldn't tell you what happened or when or how and I know in between that timeline of course I went to jail Rikers Island Rockefeller program uh, back then in the Rockefeller program was one day to life and both of my brothers were going to jail for murder so it was a whole big wait a, wait a of, second Will you lost me there for a second the Rockefeller program what yeah Rockefeller that? had what they call the Rockefeller law back then Okay. and back then if you got locked up you could cop out to the Rockefeller program and it depend on what your charges was. Uh, you got one day to life. I got one day to life. My two brothers went to court, went to trial, and one did 33 years, and the other one did 29 years. Wow. So in between that seven-year period for me, in and out, in and out, in and out, 
I finally got out. And I think in 19 or 19, maybe 90 or something like that, I don't remember the exact date, they found the Rockefeller law unconstitutional. So after all of that stuff, it was off of my record. So they said, I didn't believe that. So they said, um, and, uh, and I never really checked it until maybe 30 years later when I had to go for a court case here in Florida and it was off my record, you know, it didn't show up. So on, how, on many, my how many years were you in jail, Will? Altogether, it was seven years back and forth, in and out, the little parole back. That was the whole scheme. Okay. Get you, get you in there, but then put you on the methadone program. They called it harm reduction then. Huh. And, you know, the transition from harm reduction to the 12-step spiritual program, uh, there was a window there. Now we've went back again to harm reduction. So today, instead of methadone, is Suboxone and all the rest of this stuff. Um, my stance with this, and I, I don't mean no disrespect to the clinical or the mental health, uh, uh, you know, approaches. Uh, I qualify in both of them. But my thing back then was, you know, at least my knowledge, you know, how do you give somebody a drug to get off a drug? I, I just could never get that. And I still struggle with that sometimes. I was blessed to work with this guy who was a five, he was a five board certified psychiatrist whom the name was Dr. Bach, and he was a true addictionologist. Mm -hmm. You couldn't come in there uh, trying to get medication and medication seeking and all of that. Uh, he didn't believe in that approach. He believed in if you needed the medication. And I know today through my through education that, you know, addiction is much more than just the drug. You know, it's behavior. Of course, it's mental health. A lot of times it's more mental health than it is the actual addiction to the substance. Right. We Back say that, then, we say that the know. drugs are usually the solution to the earlier problem, which yeah. is some sort of mental or spiritual trauma or difficulty or what have you. We're in full mm -hmm. agreement, Will, to try and solve the addiction to one drug by substituting for another drug makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And what's what we're seeing with a lot of the people we've talked to is that Suboxone is supposed to be a, a temporary fix, but it's addictive. And so people get addicted to Suboxone. And how is that? Exactly. I don't see how that's a solution. So we're, we're, we're with you on that. And the other thing, having spoken to people who work one-on-one -on -one to bring people through withdrawal, getting someone through withdrawal from heroin is way shorter and way easier than either methadone or Suboxone. Oh, absolutely. And you, absolutely. you've probably seen it too. Yeah. So yeah, we're with you on that one. Mm-hmm. Well, it, 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 yeah, it, it all comes full circle because I was on the methadone program for 15 years. I was on like 100 milligrams every day. And on the weekends, I sold it. So, you know, and I doubled up sometimes. So, you know. Uh, you have personal experience with it then. You know it's exactly, not easy to get right? off of that. Yeah. It took me a year to get my sleeping pattern. It took me actually a year. I remember sleeping and from tossing and turning 
my knees were sore and my elbows were sore from totally tossing and turning at night, then going to sleep for about five minutes and waking up and it, it was it was horrible. But did that stop me? Absolutely not. Because when I had the opportunity to go back shooting heroin, right. which I was shooting heroin in between, I went back anyway. The right. same thing with, with jail. Jail wasn't a deterrent. As soon as they let me out, I went right back. And I know today the reason why I kept going back in the burning building is because I had nothing else to replace it. And I was spiritually bankrupt. Mm -hmm. I had no morals, no values, no standards, no hope. Uh, I had none of that stuff that really existed in me or with me. And I was operating on total ego with no ego strength, you know, and that's what happens to, to, to a lot of people. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 314 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924. That's one 231 5924 Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. What was your point of no return? What brought you to that point where you realized you either were going to get off the drugs or go back to jail or die or what have you? What, what brought you to that point? I, I, you know, it was the universe. It was God. It was something beyond the power of my thoughts or my focus or being. It, it, it was definitely a divine intervention. Uh, just to skip ahead a little bit, what happened for me was, uh, like I said, in and out over here, I did the geographical change and I, I came to Florida and once I got away from that environment and people talk about environment, environment, mm-hmm. I came down here and I lived in the greenhouses, what they call the greenhouses. And that was the ghetto, but I went to jail down here, you know, and as I was in jail, right, they brought meetings in and they brought meetings in. So I was forced to sit in the meetings. 
And I could only identify with what I see because what you see is what you become and what you relate to. So I've seen all these guys from New York. That's how I related for, for a minute. And I, I was like, wow. And they said, well, listen, man, you know, when you get out, come to a meeting. And this is where we're at. This is what we do. And one of the guys picked me up when I got out and took me straight to a meeting. And um, I've been going ever since. But what got me, what the, uh, the precipitating factor that changed my whole life, I had maybe 30 days clean. I went to this big picnic we call clean but crazy. And we <laughs> still have that picnic today. I like that. Clean and, but uh, crazy. Okay. Yeah, clean but crazy. And uh, we still have that picnic today, man. Uh, and I go every year to, to that picnic. Whereabouts, well, Will? Not, where, where is that picnic? What? Oh, yeah, this is in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Fort Lauderdale. I'm in, I'm in okay. Florida. Okay. So um, I... Uh, was at this picnic and a friend, one of the persons that kind of knew me uh, from the helpline said, "You, somebody's calling helpline looking for you, but we can't deny or confirm that you're here in the program, you know, and all that. But do you do you have a daughter named Lydia? And I said, sure. I said, well, listen, we she left us the number. I'm going to give you the number, but we couldn't tell her that you were here. So I called and I found out that night that my Two other two daughters were in a car accident on the BQE in New York, and my 15-year-old daughter was decapitated in the car. My other daughter oh. didn't get a scratch. Oh well. So oh, I'm sorry. The beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was the beginning of the end for me, as it relates to me totally surrendering to a new way of life, because my understanding is any of these any program, the goal is for you to change your life and, and to do different things or learn how to operate and be a productive member of society and, and or humanity. I like to say humanity opposed to society because we both know society is upside down now and everything is crazy. Yes, it but, is. Um, so that, that was it, you know, and I, I remember uh, going to her funeral and I remember uh, standing there and, you know, everybody was there, everybody left and I still was there. And and I just remember, and I remember today, I can close my eyes and I could see her sitting on my lap, you know, laughing and, and all of that. So I, I said to myself then, you know, I'm going to make a commitment to my daughter that I'm going to honor and pay homage to her life. And I'm not, I'm not going to pick up ever again just for today. And I'm going to follow this direction that these people are talking about over here, uh, the 12-step fellowships. And I ain't endorsing them, but this is, happens to be my story. And uh, from that day on, I made a commitment to um, change my life and move forward in my life. And, you know, somewhere down the road, uh, be a power of example for others that may be struggling in their life and sharing my experience, strength, and hope. And hopefully oh, over the years, I've, I've touched a lot, of, a lot of people and, you know, a lot of people have come back and still are in my life and a lot, 
lot of them become successful. And I'm not saying just because it was me. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that being an example that you can move away from that from that lifestyle. Because if the lifestyle don't, if the drugs don't get you, the, the lifestyle will definitely get you. That's correct. And, That's and, correct. And, and, and do something different. So, you know, and the rest of my story is. Well, I was um, just going to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was just going to say, I'm sorry that you had to lose a daughter to reach that point. But I am also certain that she's very proud of you because it's no small feat to be clean and sober for 31 years. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do and well done you. And like I say, I'm sorry that that had to happen, but you made the right decision and now you've been able to change the lives of people. I'm sure you have. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I do. This is my passion. Uh, This is who I am. And most people that know me uh, will tell you that I, I not only talk recovery, I live recovery. And I don't care where you're going, AA, AAA, <laughs> NA, wherever you might want to go, um, church, you know what I mean? There's yeah. many, many different avenues, smart recovery. There's many, 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 many different trails to the mountaintop. Just get on one of those trails and stay consistent on the trail. Because what I've learned too, throughout my, my journey is that there is no exact science to addiction. You can go to one doctor and get a whole different... Out, uh, uh, a diagnosis from and go to another one and get so there's really no exact science here for me the bottom line really is a lot of, of what I found out is it's all self-exploration yep. through the professionals because I found out with me it was more behavior than it was the addiction and when you look at the, the word addiction and you break that down and you say well what is addiction addiction is a deep devotion to an impulsive force that has become more powerful than any moral or value in my life. Right. Right. So now what does that mean? That means that my addiction based on my disease, myself and my brain, because it is a brain function, they say, uh, and will come up again and again and again with what satisfies, you know, the midbrain where the drugs go in and, and dispense the feelings and all that the emotions and the frontal lobe, but never mind all that. But I found out that it was more of who I was and who I wasn't that I used. Because I remember as a kid and going to school, I used because that's what we did. I was part of, right? you know. And then I knew, I learned on this trip as I grew older, I used a lot and self-medicated a lot because, you know, of all the violence that I seen in my house and, uh, the physical abuse and the hypocrisy yep. and all of that stuff I wanted to run from. As when I was with, when I was young, uh, a lot of people in the block didn't want their children hanging out with me because of my family. Interesting. So I was able to inventory all that stuff mm-hmm. and then find out, wow, but where you been running, William Gump? You know, you've been running. <laughs> You've been running where you going. And yep. I was running for myself. I never knew that this was an inward journey mm-hmm. and looking for happiness inward opposed to outward and the aesthetics and, and, you know, and people that I attracted in my life and uh, 
lying and cheating and manipulating, you know the story yes. and, and all of that. And mm -hmm. um, so I was blessed and I got some friends. I met this guy when I first got here and he used to tell me he painted houses and I, I, I couldn't say his name um, because, you know, he was my sponsor in the beginning. I don't really like using names. That's fine. He he was um, um, he 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 lost everything. We worked at workforce for uh, day labor stuff, painting houses, and uh, he became a close friend of mine. He used to tell me all the time. We listened to the radio and said, "Man, yeah, I know that person. Yeah, I wrote that song. Yeah, man." And oh man, I. And I used to say, oh, here we go, because, you know, you meet all kind of people along the way. <laughs> and in the long run, I was, this is five years of me knowing him. I went to a barbecue at his house. and I was at his house, and uh, I was outside. And, Can I use the bathroom? He said, yeah, well, go in, make a left to go down the hallway. So I went in, made a left, went down the hallway, and I seen about 10 platinum albums. Oh, maybe wow. And I said to him, when I came back out, I said, who the hell are you? You know, and we laugh about that today. But, but I I'm, glad that. That I, I'm glad that I met him then, because I probably would have been starstruck, too, because I, right. I didn't know him. Right. And he's been my, I sponsor him today. He sponsored me when I first got in, so I sponsor him today. That's very, awesome. Very, 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 yeah, very, very, very close friend of mine. And I've met. A lot of people along the way, like like uh, like Richie, and I'd say his name, Richie, and uh, he is um, uh, hopefully uh, nominated to go into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and songwriters. Wow. He's wrote for he's wrote for everybody: Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, Dr. John. I mean, Gladys Knight and the Pips. This guy wow. is a genius. But I met him here, and he I got. I'm coming up on 31. He's coming up on 32. Wow. So if anybody might be struggling, my whole thing was whatever I was working with at that time just wasn't working. Right. And I came to that conclusion, especially after my daughter being killed, that I needed to be there for my other two daughters and my son. And I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, the, the, the language. Yep. And I just was ready to do something. I was here in Florida, no family, didn't know nobody. And, um, you know, I went to that first meeting and they kept telling me, keep coming back. And I didn't really like anybody in there today. I know I didn't like myself. Then they hooked me up with this guy with a, a Southern accent. <laughs> um, uh, his name was Mike, Mike G, and uh, uh, you take Mike G from, I always say, he used to love for me to say this. I always used to identify him coming from Hang'em High, Mississippi, and me coming from Harlem, and bringing that together. And he taught me what love truly was about. And he was a Vietnam veteran and a veteran, so I related to him right away. And his thing was this, you know, Will, Stop looking for everything and everybody outside of you to save you. Mm. You know, only you can save you. Stop looking for love in everybody and these women. <laughs> Start looking for love inside. So he taught me how to go inside. And he also taught me how to uh, become a man and 
a, a real man, and he also let me know that men don't men do cry. <laughs> so I cry. I wear pink and I eat quiche. You know. So <laughs> well, that's something I don't think anybody knows about you. You cry. You wear pink and you eat quiche. And I eat quiche. Will you do and you do interventions? Right. That's a yes, lot of what yeah, you do. I'm, I'm an interventionist. If, if people wanted to contact you, if they needed your help, what's the best way to find you? How do people find you? Well, um, they can go to my website, uh, but the easiest way f- for me is I, I'm old-fashioned. <laughs> you know, just give me a call. Uh, you know, uh, give me a call. I'll, I'm free at any time. You can easily, like I said, go to the to the website and you'll see... Um, um, Angel Side by Side LLC. Okay. Uh, that's my uh, that's my uh, for profit. My non for profit is uh, Positive Input and Change Inc. Positive and Input and my, Change Inc. Okay. Inc. Yeah, and my number is nine five four three two eight twenty four hundred. If you want to cut through all the BS and just call me. Okay, do that one more time, but do it slower. Nine five four three two eight. 2,400. 2,400. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. You make such good points. I mean, you. I liked the point you made where, um, you know, it, do, it doesn't matter how somebody gets clean and sober. They just need to get clean and sober. And as you said, you know, I on the mountain, there's the mountain, walk the path, however you walk the path, but walk the path and get there, you know, and I think... I think your story is a great example about that of that, and I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Yes, let me let me drop two things on you before we go. Okay, absolutely. Uh, in that process of uh, dropping out of high school or dropping out of junior high school, I uh, and I want to say this because I want to give some of you guys out there a little hope that don't let nobody. I don't care who it is, control your narrative or your story. Yep. Don't let the naysayers keep you stuck in what if, if only, and just one more. Because they told me I could never, with five felons, I could never even get a certificate to be a dog catcher. <laughs> you know, they told me that. And in the interim, at 60 years old, I went back to school. And I got a bachelor's degree in addiction studies. I got a master's degree in mental health counseling. And I'm a standing uh, candidate for a doctorate degree in metaphysical science. Wow. So I say that to say none of that defines me. I want to be clear with that. What defines me is the universe is God working in my life and some type of power higher power, however you address that issue, and finding love within instead of looking and never finding love without. So my message really is that whatever you surrender to and set your mind to do and you have support, you can uh, definitely achieve those goals. Now, I happen to say that the one of the greatest gifts, I have all my family back. I've been praying to get them back for years. Now I'm praying for their ass to go back where they was. But anyway, that's another <laughs> story. But uh, last Wednesday, 
the 16th and please you guys that really might be struggling with legal stuff. It took me 16 years, man, supposedly to get my rights back. And the agent that interviewed me said, I'm not putting you in for no getting no rights back. All the stuff that you've accomplished, I'm putting you in for a full part. Wow. I said, oh, okay. And last Wednesday, I was in front of Governor DeSantis and the Board of Florida, the, the Attorney General. I mean, the whole board I went in front front of and uh, told uh, Governor DeSantis, well, not told, but shared a little bit of me with him like I'm doing with you, you guys. And he granted me a full pardon. Wow. So... I wow. told one of my clients, yeah, full pardon. Wow. I told one of my clients that's struggling, now that I got my full pardon, if he messes up again, I'm going to pistol whoop his behind. <laughs> now I can get me a pistol. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, all I could say is my life is wonderful. I meet wonderful people like you and Steve along the way. I've also had the opportunity to go to the White House. I've been to the White House, the West Wing. And I mean, uh, my favorite nemesis of all time, who I fought with and for my mother's attention. When I was 15, I used to have to sit and watch the damn Mets play and they stunk <laughs> and suck. And my favorite player of all time, or her favorite player of all time, who I hated, was uh, Mr. Donald Strawberry, and I do have permission to use his name. I'm okay. in a couple of books that he wrote. So I say his name not to for you guys that might go to meetings and all that anonymity. He's breaking his anonymity. No, I'm talking on a professional level, and I definitely have the uh, respect from him to uh, use his name, especially when it's dealing with recovery and helping others at any time. So there is no anonymity there right. or ambiguity in any of that with me and him. Right. And me and Dee been down for uh, 15 years, maybe a little bit more. And he's he's doing like wonderful things. So there is a power greater than myself <laughs> that continues to help me sometimes even without my permission. <laughs> and. My life is wonderful. I met you guys through uh, my girl, Ellen. Yep. And I've been knowing Ellen for years when she first came in. And we all used to go to conventions and all over the country. And and, uh, uh, and I see her now. I, I know her son had passed away. And I yep. I just want to kind of dedicate this, this podcast to all the fallen soldiers uh, that have fell and came before me and that are going to come after me, whether they're here in spirit or if they're here physically. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, so that's kind of my life today. My life is real simple. I, I go in, I do a couple of groups. I do some relapse prevention stuff. I do some interventions. Um, I get paid not to go to work. They call that social security. So I get paid not to go to work and, and it's never been work for me. Uh, it's just me paying back, you know, the universe, God, my understanding that thank you for this precious gift. And I will carry this gift and be there until the day I can't move. 
Well, that's great. So, that's great. Everything you're doing, that's fabulous. I, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us today. You're the bomb, Will Grayson. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Get into recovery for many years. So without further ado, let's talk to Will Grayson. Thank you so much for listening today. I thought that Will's story was riveting. I was a, I was shocked a little bit when he said he started at nine, but it happens. We know it happens. We've had others who started at age 11 and age 10, so we know that it happens when kids are very young. The point of his message, I think, was good in that you need to get into recovery no matter what kind of recovery you do. Obviously, we're sponsored by a drug treatment facility and we recommend it, but you have to do what's going to work for you. You have to do what's going to work for your loved one. The point is get on the path to recovery, walk the steps, stay on the path and get clean and sober. That's what we want for you in 2021. Okay. So listen next week and we'll have another interview and we'll talk to you then. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narcanon Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.